0: Welcome. Thank you all for joining us today on the Generation Income Properties podcast. Uh, This is an exciting time here at Generation Income Properties, kicking off our first podcast of a new series uh, that we are going to be releasing as a new part of our growth focus at the company. Uh, I'm Bobby Roilac, Acquisitions Manager for GIP. Uh, Very thankful to have our Director of Communications with me here today, Justin Gore, Uh, Justin, many thanks for setting this up because I would have no idea how to do all this. Uh, Each podcast session uh, as we move forward is going to focus on uh, new topics. Some will be real estate related, some will not be. Um, We'll have new guests attend each week. Uh, We're looking forward to that as it will bring different perspectives um, to our talks and really give, I think, the audience interesting views of what's going on uh, in the world of real estate. Uh, For our first podcast today, Uh, Very thankful to have someone join us who I've worked with through my whole time here at Generation Income Properties. Uh, Today, uh, on the first podcast, we're joined by by Noah Schaefer, uh, Generation Income Properties Asset Manager. Thank you for joining the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Certainly. Um, A plug here, shout out to our alma mater, University of South Florida, Go Bulls, uh, where where Noah uh, and myself graduated from. Uh, Why don't you give us a background, you know, share with us kind of your story of of how you um, were were introduced to the world of real estate and ultimately what led you to asset management. Yeah, so uh,
1: thank you for the introduction, Go Bulls. Uh, I began working in the net lease sector around five years ago uh, with an early focus on uh, data analytics and uh, analyzing patterns in uh, net lease sales comps. Uh, to figure out and and quantify some of the subjective aspects of net lease investments so that we could really put a value on uh, demographics uh, and site characteristics. And that uh, translated into uh, exploring uh, valuation and ultimately landing in a space where Uh, Some of our clients who had owned net lease property for a long period of time had tenants who were uh, either now beginning to explore renewals or uh, were vacating sites and they needed leasing uh, to find new net lease and and large investment grade tenants uh, for their properties. And so I started out on the leasing side and what we quickly realized was that uh, the information that a majority of net lease owners possessed was lacking, and we had to do a lot of background uh, research, uh, really for, for no other purpose than uh, these investments were treated as as passive. And so uh, they, the investors that hold them uh, really did not uh, keep a strong uh, due diligence file and, and records for their property, and it led to a lot of challenges. And led us to found a, a net lease uh, nationwide asset management company.
0: That's that's fantastic, and and I think it's so interesting um, that you all, going back, were able to identify that this industry is not passive. That um, requires so much attention. Uh, so, if I can ask, what was something that you all begin to realize while wow, the owners of these properties really are are, are not understanding or, or are lacking? Um, the the knowledge or just the the understanding of what's going on with the property?
1: Yeah, so there were a few things, but what we commonly see are uh, landlords don't have an individual to contact within some of these larger tenant organizations. So uh, they might have the general email for uh, Walgreens lease admin or uh, Starbucks lease admin, but they don't have an individual person to reach out to when they need a quick answer. They get uh, filtered into these large hotlines and uh, whether they've owned them for 20 years or five years or two years, um, that kind of was a recurring theme. And so we set out to build relationships with tenants so that when we had issues arise within our portfolio or with clients who we not in our management portfolio. Uh, we were able to provide value and have somebody to reach out to for uh, assistance in, in those matters. And then the second thing was was really uh, looking at the performance of the investment. Uh, yes, uh, it's it's not as complex as uh, you know a, a GSA lease where you have. A lot of reimbursements and expenses on the landlord. In most cases, the tenant is, is taking on the property expenses and management. Uh, but uh, people were not monitoring the performance of the investment. And if there were reductions in rent or deferrals or at renewal, they had to provide some sort of TI. Uh, they weren't analyzing that from an investment perspective. And so uh, we set in to really institutionalize the. The management of, of net lease assets and in a lot of cases um, there were issues with with title and uh, things that were pre- uh, preventing us from moving forward with transactions and it really slowed down the transaction process so uh, we set out to kind of streamline that and, and again institutionalize the net lease industry
0: that's huge um i think you hit on a, a key word that i think can summarize um all of the services is that you are assisting these owners um, in so many different different avenues of the ownership of their property um and I think that through this time of covid going back to march uh that's been amplified so a, a question that you know came to my mind is since obviously your 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 roles looked a lot different uh, from March up to this point. How has your role within the asset management space really changed since the beginning of covid? Uh, to where we are today, uh, late October? Yeah, so uh, there's two main issues that
1: uh, have arisen over the last six and seven months. And the first is that the unpassive nature of net lease assets was made apparent. Uh, you know, everyone was getting letters from their tenants uh, with some sort of a request. Uh, almost all tenants uh, Made requests, whether they were granted or, or followed up on, and the, the manner of the request was was different tenant by tenant, and so uh, we were able to help landlords understand what other landlords were doing. Um, the net lease industry is extremely siloed. Uh, only eight to ten percent of net lease assets are owned by institutional investment companies, and the rest are owned by individual owners with less than five net lease properties uh, under ownership. So the ability to share information and and have insight into uh, what tenants were asking for was extremely helpful uh, in other locations. The ability to leverage our relationships that we had built with the tenants, this was an extremely contentious situation. in in a lot of cases, tenants needed help, or uh, maybe they didn't need help, but we just wanted to understand how they uh, could be helped in these situations and how the solution could be mutually beneficial to the owners. And so positioning that, uh, but these weren't the first times we had been speaking with the tenants. And so um, having the past relationship where we had uh, that we'd built over the, the previous years was extremely helpful in having these hard discussions. So I think it it showcased the importance of of building relationships with the tenants in your net lease and properties. And then the second uh, component was the performance of the investment was put right on the forefront as the rent that was stated in the lease um, was no longer just being sent to uh, Bank accounts by ACH. So, how did these rent concessions that were being requested affect the value of the property going forward? Affect the short-term cash flows uh, that became an issue, and so there was a lot more focus on this uh, from investors outside of our our client base. Uh, and that w- those were the
0: two largest changes in in the last six months. Hmm. Interesting. Very, very interesting. I think in in talking about tenants, um, you all were obviously paying attention to to not just a maybe a specific tenant that you're working with, but maybe what the industry was doing as a whole uh, for whatever service that tenant um, business line was. Um, I think given that you know a lot of tenants were impacted differently through this time, some have performed exceptionally well and and not needed um, to really analyze real estate um, as much as other tenants, uh, especially on the the consumer side, uh, consumer services side, um, and, and, you know, some tenants, they really, they probably could have handled uh, the way they went through looking for a request, um, maybe more professionally, um, and, and just looking at, um, you know, how they were willing to work with their landlords to come to a, a mutual benefit uh, for the lease moving forward. With that said, um, your third party clients, um, as they've looked at the landscape of where they're looking to invest in different property types with different tenant types, have there been discussions between you all as to uh, maybe a shift in the types of assets you're looking for, Um, maybe different tenant bases, uh, anything along those lines? I think it's easy
1: for most people to follow the news, um, and the news has been Pretty one-sided uh, against a lot of assets. Um, you know, we don't really work in hospitality or, or multifamily, uh, so excluding those. But office, in particular, um, has received a lot of negative light, and so just the general perception has been against office. Um, I think that uh, that's not necessarily validated in uh, with any substantial metrics, and so I think there's opportunity there. Uh, But uh, I think generally in the third party clients and and private clients, um, they tend to now stay even further away from office uh, and and they really want industrial, you know, whether, again, that's validated as an investment principle, I I don't necessarily agree with, but that's kind of what we're looking at. And what they've seen is, uh, and what we've seen is uh, QSR has performed extremely well. um, And so there's attention towards that. Um, we'll probably see, uh, especially in, in drive through locations with drive throughs, there will be a compression in, in cap rates. But uh, again, the credit of the tenant is not necessarily improving. The location is not necessarily improving. Um, right. You have a, a better rent growth in that sector in the local market, but you might not. So um, it's important to make a note of all of the underlying real estate fundamentals that have always been. Present in net lease investments and analyze each of those individually, and not just jump on the, the bandwagon of one sector uh, over another. But there are quite a few tenants who uh, in sectors that we think will continue to perform well and have performed well through this, uh, or had some short term challenges, but have uh, shifted their their operational strategy and have plans for the future and more recover fine as things return to uh, some sense of normalcy.
0: I He brought up industrial uh, a few minutes ago, and I heard a story that just blew my mind. Um, I think it's a, a, a signal of, um, I don't know if it's a, a bigger trend, but just something that I, I couldn't believe and I think continues to validate the point that people are so hungry for good industrial deals. Uh, a former primarily focused multifamily uh, investor in New York had decided to reshift his investment focus. And ended up acquiring, I think it was two Amazon warehouse distribution centers for under four cap, close to three and a half cap, just paying uh, absolutely insane prices for these assets. And it's, um, I think it just shows what people are are really willing to pay up for. Um, And then you're seeing so much office space come on the market um, for sublease and tenants just holding off on making decisions and it's, it's got people really questioning, okay, what, you know, what are we going to do with this type of asset class for the long haul? Um, but at the end of the day, some offices that are are being, for, uh, that are for sale, well, they're ultimately getting sold. So somebody's buying them. <laughs> so there is a, right. uh, someone is, is seeing the value, uh, whether it be now or, or potentially years down the road. Um, yeah. And really on, on that point, um,
1: there's something to be said if an office is for sale and uh, it has a national tenant, and uh, the space isn't up for sublease, right? Because they, the the larger tenants with large office footprint, as you know from your background and, and relationships with colleagues in that space, um, they're not afraid to make decisions on on that side, and, and they are. Um, you know, anecdotally and firsthand, we've we've heard that some tenants are, are trimming real estate uh, on the office side significantly. And so if they're keeping an office building, um, not subleasing it, uh, there's something to be said for their uh, performance there. And and there's a reason behind uh, that at this stage in the game. So there's a lot of things to note. And and with the industrial, uh, you know, at a sub four cap, uh, there could be very good reason for that. You know, Amazon's got a strong credit rating. Uh, the rents could be in line with market or they expect rents to grow significantly over the next 40 years. And it's a long term play. But you just want to analyze again all aspects of of the real estate fundamentals to make sure that uh, the cap rate is is warranted, and you're not paying a, a three cap for a five year lease where they might leave in, in five years, and you're four times market, then you're at a zero cap right? because you've you can't replace it. So it's important to uh, again analyze all of the fundamentals, and we can't stress that enough but it's something i think you on the acquisitions team um the, the committee and uh,
0: that you put investments through and the rigor that you put through uh, you know do very well you're 100 percent right uh real estate is is the first focus you know understanding um is the real estate something that we are okay with the tenants not there down the road and then from after analyzing that um we're so diligent um, and deliberate in our underwriting uh, to analyze any situation um, to where if a tenant was to leave down the road, you know, we we know today uh, whether it be five years from now or ten years from now, what we could do with that asset. And so, um, definitely, definitely agree that understanding that property in every avenue of of what could happen down the road is so important on the front end. These so obviously a big part of your job is is going to the site. Um, doing everything from the walkthroughs to organizing um, third-party reports, um, analyzing the roofs, et cetera, roof mechanicals, et cetera. Um, All of our assets are not in Tampa, uh, which means that at some points you've got to hit the road. Um, And that doesn't mean just driving, but even as recently, I know um, Noah had one of the most interesting travels I've heard of. I think he went from Houston to Arizona to Milwaukee in a matter of like 72 hours and then back to tampa and uh, that's obviously all done by a plane uh, plane travel is interesting these days uh, you know last about two weeks ago i i flew up to dc and i had a layover in atlanta and i when I got off the plane i truly couldn't believe how many people i saw um, i think there is a pent-up man a pent-up demand for domestic travel, um, but I still know there's so many risks to it. So with that being said, you know, organizing third-party reports and getting people on site um, from state to state, uh, you know, government, municipality, uh, or to local restrictions, it's just a a variety of challenges. How have you kind of had to deal with that um, yourself for assets your third-party clients were looking at, um, sometimes dealing on very, very strict time constraints? we would love to know know, the ways you all have had to pivot uh, to make sure reports are being uh, processed or completed, inspection being completed, um, in the time you need them to be. Yeah, so we're seeing three things happen
1: with property site visits. Uh, We recommend doing them on even the most absolute of net leases at least once a year, ideally twice. And if it's more intensive than an absolute net lease, we recommend doing it more frequently. Uh, We do it for a lot of reasons uh, to see what's going on in the market, uh, see where vacancies are, and and call on those uh, brokers to find out what rents are uh, so we can monitor the local uh, market and surrounding area, see new projects that are being developed, but also meet with uh, the tenant, either with just the store manager or with their local real estate representative. Um, Who covers the territory, which is um, harder to coordinate, but we do sometimes do that so that we can again put a face to uh, ourselves as the landlord or the representative of the landlord and uh, help to build that relationship. Um, Right now, we're seeing tenants have, in most cases and in a lot of cases, uh, either required an additional document uh, to come and visit the site or to. Um, prohibit non-essential and non-emergency site visits. So that's been a challenge for uh, landlords and, and for building relationships with the local uh, tenant at the site. On the sites that we are visiting on for acquisition, uh, it's been easier to gain access. Uh, other than the fact that we have to fly on a plane and travel, uh, that's challenging. Um, we're still willing to do it when it makes sense. Uh, but as as numbers and and death rates rise and fall, it's, it's a decision that we're making um, really day by day, um, and just gauging the situation where we're going, um, what the restrictions are there, uh, as well as um, what the risk is for for our representatives traveling. You know, when we were traveling, the numbers were uh, down and and seemingly um, continuing to decline. Now they're uh, increasing again and so it's just a a constant monitoring but uh, what we're really trying to do is be efficient in our travel Uh, we always are uh, attempting to be efficient but now we're as we're traveling from one site to another um, and if we're driving we're trying to make six or seven stops along the way uh, seeing sites that clients are uh, looking to acquire uh, seeing sites that they already own or seeing sites that are under contract and meeting with the due diligence teams that are are going to inspect the site, uh, and that has been a challenge as well. The timing for most of the due diligence reports is, has been extended by um, thirty to forty percent, so giving a longer lead time to to get everything in and
0: reviewed properly has been important as well. Uh, no question. I mean, I think you know from our from my perspective, looking at the acquisition side of things. Um, you know, a lot of times you're hearing of maybe 30 day, uh, due diligence, 10 day close and kind of dig into it further and you realize, well, it's actually pretty quick these days, but the local investor, um, may actually have the ability to do that. You know, they know the property. They may have even been there before they even looked to buy it. Um, but there's, uh, I think some, you know, competition, if you will, when looking at, especially in a major market that may have a lot of people wanting to be in that market. Um, but yeah, no question it is a, It's an interesting challenge to work through. Well, I think as we as we head into 2021, um, obviously, there's a lot of unknowns. Whether or not, uh, I think I saw news yesterday that um, people are saying vaccines will be out by the end of the year. Uh, You know, we may have a new president here in the next three four weeks. Um, January 2021 could look very different than where we are here today. Uh, With that said, we'd love to know, or love to get a couple of thoughts from you, just somewhere. Uh, different metrics uh, may be headed between uh, transaction velocity, interest rates, cap rates, et cetera. Um, so if I can ask maybe the first question, uh, obviously transaction volume down is is so down right now. Um, and when we move forward into early next year, how do you see that continuing? Yeah.
1: So the real question, uh, I think it's it's more complex than just, you know people aren't buying institutional money is is sitting on the sidelines waiting to see where things shake out that's all all true um you have two factors that are are playing into this one is that uh, transaction volume is is down in the net lease sector significantly uh, but it's down even more in in all of the other real estate sectors so a lot of uh, past 1031 um, which is another topic uh, uh, there's very <laughs> notes on, yep. on the yep. likelihood of that. But um, I think that could have an, an effect on on velocity in the short term if, if there's a fear that it, it could be abolished um, and the likelihood of that happening. Um, but but uh, a, a common 1031 uh, transition is for multifamily, which have traditionally had low cap rates and, and low returns, at least in the... More recent future uh, into net lease, uh, which is a much more passive investment, and so multifamily, uh, especially right now, uh, the the cap rates really are are going up and down depending on on markets, if, if, what market you're in, and and we're not experts there, but um, there's some real risk uh, and perceived risk in in a lot of uh, those asset classes, especially multifamily. Um, the CDC is is being taken to court right now uh, because they've Uh, prohibited evictions as a health emergency under their uh, executive power, right? So uh, you're no longer allowed to evict in in certain areas um, and and for certain reasons. So that's concerning. There's been a lot of talk around legislation in that regard. Um, And so uh, that's uh, concerning. And and the rental and receivable rates are, are, are down in a lot of markets and multifamily. So it's perceived as risky and the volume is, is down there. So if they're not transitioning out of that, who's buying, um, you know, that's that's one concern. And what is the velocity for people selling uh, real estate assets to, to move into the net lease? So that's one concern that can keep velocity down. The second is really going to be supply. Uh, right now, uh, we're seeing a lot of these legacy deals uh, coming to market. You're seeing uh, deals that were already in development coming to market. You're seeing, in and, and a lot of cases, some some sale lease back transactions, large sale-lease-backed transactions coming to market. Um, and so the question is, where is the supply of net lease properties going to come from? Um, could it be from uh, restructured leases that... Uh, Because of COVID, they they gave a haircut on the rent and got a longer term and now's the right time to sell. Yes, that's that's a possibility. Um, Sale leasebacks is another good possibility. Um, But traditionally, where we've seen a lot of activity is from uh, the development and new construction. And the majority of net lease tenants have put their uh, programs on hold while they see where this shakes out. Not all of them, and there's still tenants developing And it's important to to note that uh, there are still tenants that are are looking at new sites expanding, but uh, on a lot of fronts, there's been a a moratorium on on new sites for 12 to 18 months, which will significantly dry up the the supply of net lease assets. And uh, the real question is, where is it going to come from if if not from uh, new construction? So it's important to note that in addition to just investment not being made into the the sector and uh, properties not being sold for for the uh, initial transaction in, in 1031 exchanges, where is the uh, net lease investment going to come from? Uh, it's really a supply issue in, in our mind and uh, monitoring that to see what opportunities there are over the next six months. But if the supply issue becomes significant, then Cap rates are, are going to compress uh, because there's there will be more people looking to invest into this space in, in quality assets than uh, there are properties uh, available to, to meet that uh, supply. So it'll be interesting to kind of watch all these uh, counteracting um, inputs and, and see what the effect on on cap rates over the next 12
0: to 18 months is. No question. I think uh, agree with everything you said, and I think you know there's going to be when we start to see the bifurcation of of good real estate versus bad real estate. Bifurcation will be for the good real estate cap rates to potentially be flat or even lower, um, and as the bad real estate, however you want to deem that, uh, probably higher, uh, maybe even significantly higher. Um, well, Noah, thank you so much. This has been a great discussion. Appreciative you for your insights. Um, Thankful you for your work for for GIP, and I uh, just appreciate the chance to to work with you. Um, we look forward to a, another discussion, hopefully in the near future.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, and uh, appreciate the time.